Welcome to Season 4 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Proudly sponsored by AllPlay. If you're looking for a board game table, bag, playmat, or great board games, check them out at letsallplay.com. This episode of Game Design Unbox is sponsored by Launch Tabletop. Launch Tabletop is an online platform for board game creators to manufacture retail quality board games at all scales, even a single copy. Launch Tabletop is offering 20% off your next order by going to launchtabletop.com and using promo code GDU20 when checking out using their print-on-demand service, Launch Lab. Launch your next game project into the stratosphere with retail quality games at no minimums with Launch Tabletop today. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 75, Wingspan. Today, we are joined by Elizabeth Hargrave, the designer of Mariposa, The Fox Experiment, Tusty Mussy, Wingspan, and its many, many expansions. Thanks for being on the show. Hey! <laughs> it's awesome to have you. And I mean, everyone I feel like knows about you at this point, but do they know how you got into gaming? Into gaming or game design? You know, I think, I feel like they go hand in hand, so give me both. Okay. I mean, my family always played a certain amount of games growing up, but like very mainstream, like Scrabble, Hearts kind of stuff. And all through college, I lived in a house full of people that like we'd play spades every night before dinner and we'd play Scrabble while we were doing our homework very slowly. <laughs> but it was really like 2005. I was at a little weekend retreat Um that was kind of skiing focused, but I'm not really a skier. So I was very happy that someone had brought a bunch of board games and they were a bunch of games that I had not seen yeah. before. So like Catan was there, Carcassonne, we played Blackus. I don't remember what else. Those were the three that have stuck in my mind and what, you know, great gateway games. So I was totally hooked. And there were some folks there that we sort of became friends with, ended up moving very nearby to like the same neighborhood. And so I ended up playing a lot of games from that point forward. That's so awesome. I am also not a skier. Fun fact, in fifth grade, I got left on a mountain on a ski trip. <laughs> so what? yeah, basically what happened was our teacher, instead of taking like attendance, just asked each parent volunteer, do you have all your kids? My parent volunteer, funny enough, last name, Moron, left me on the mountain and thought he had all his kids. So yeah, had the best epic snowball fight of my life, but I have never been skiing since. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, my story is just that I grew up in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, okay, let's move on then and let's talk birds. Let's talk about Wingspan. How did it happen? Like, where was the inspiration from and in, like becoming a designer? So I started thinking about Wingspan about 2013, so like eight years later than what I just described getting into gaming, and it was really like my friends and I and my spouse sitting around going, why are all the games that we play about stuff that we don't care about? Like, awful lot of games about castles and trains. I was going to say, you don't want a pet dragon. Well, no, I don't even remember playing games about dragons at that point. Like It was oh. much drier than that. <laughs> like city building, castles, all that stuff, and space, which is fine. They're all fine, but they're not the things that I like spend my time thinking about. Otherwise, like, it was a group of nature nerds. So it was really Matt, my spouse, who was like, what if there were a board game that was like Race for the Galaxy, but about birds? 
and that got my brain going of like not just the what if but like oh what like how would you make yeah. such a thing oh that's so fun yeah okay so cool so it was your spouse <laughs> that made you think that were you really <laughs> avid into bird watching at the time yeah yeah just just starting like we probably started a few years before that really seriously thinking about birds and before that just kind of always interested in nature in general but at some point you make the decision that you both need your own binoculars I feel like that's a key point and like yeah this is serious now. that's the evolution of birding when you need your own binoculars I love that so much not enough to just pass them back and forth no I like the idea of like accidentally strangling your spouse just trying to pull the binoculars <laughs> from them I, that picture sounds way better in my head so then how did you start to go about creating the game? Like, where did you start as a new designer to prototype it? My first prototype, I literally printed out a bunch of just little like, clip art pictures of a cute little just line drawing bird, just cartoony bird on cardstock and cut them out and hand wrote the information for each card on them in pencil. And I have like a handful of cards to mess around yeah. with to see what would work. And yeah, that that pencil version stayed with me through many iterations. And I, I kept a few of those cards and they're all like erased and written over. And yeah, that's so cute. But it was an effective way to start when I didn't really know what I was doing. And like, I had no idea about the concept of like fail faster and just like make something quick and dirty and get it to the table. But that's what I did just intuitively. That's so awesome. I actually really love they have dry erase cards nice. where you can just use marker and like yeah. that's what I use for quick prototyping when I have an idea. Nice. But I mean, your way works too. Yeah. That's so yeah. fun. At this point, I'm so fast with Nandek and like already sort of have some templates that I use that like I'm just as likely to just maybe for my second draft to just put it in, all in a spreadsheet and print cards. But for that first draft, I do still often just yeah, handwrite stuff on scraps of paper. And now, you know, I have like just stacks of old prototype cards sitting around everywhere. So I have plenty of card sized scrap paper everywhere. Y'all, amazing. <laughs> I love it so much. Okay, so then for anyone who doesn't know what Wingspan is, would you mind explaining like how the game gets played? Yeah, so in Wingspan... Everyone has their own player mat, and on that mat are four different actions that you can take. And you are trying to build birds out on that mat, and as you put the birds out, they're making each of your actions better when you take them. So the first action is you can play a bird, and you have to pay the cost in food for that bird. And birds themselves are worth points, but they go into these slots on your mat, and then the other three actions are each associated with a row on the mat, right? So there's a row that is the um, take food action. And the base thing, if you haven't done anything else, you just take one food. But if you have birds in that row, um, it moves you up on a little scale so that you're taking more food and you get to use the powers on all the birds that you've played in that row. So there's sort of two different ways that you're building up an engine as you're playing birds out in your on your mat. And you can be drawing more cards. You can be laying eggs, which are just straight up points. There's a bunch of goals that people are competing for. And you do it for 30 turns over four rounds and uh, see who has the most points. 
Very cool. So did the game always start with like all those different intricacies or did you start and focus on like one thing then you added more and more and more like talk about the process of that? Yeah, it started just as cards and it was um, much closer to just like draw a card, play a card kind of stuff and figuring out the like flow of food and birds. And as I added more engine building, trying to figure out like, okay, these are the different actions that you're taking in the, in the game. How can you make them better? And for a long time, it was like, okay, by the number of car- birds that you have in each habitat. And it was really pretty late in the game that we added in the player mat to like, which allowed us to do more with that. And, but yeah, it started out much simpler and much less engine building. So what did the game look like when you found your publisher? When I pitched it, it was cards and eggs. And that's it. Oh, wow. So like a lot of it did yeah. change through development. All the food was on cards. So it was, you know, it was food and birds and eggs. So that was all the same. But yeah, it changed a ton after I pitched it. That's so cool. So walk through how that happened. Like, how did you meet Jamie? I'm assuming Jamie was the one you pitched to. Yeah. So sometime in like the spring of 2016, I decided I wanted to pitch at Gen Con. And so I sent a bunch of emails out to publishers. Well, first, backing up even a step from that, I did a bunch of research on the publishers that go to Gen Con and tried to figure out who the hell would want a game about birds. (laughs) I feel like now everyone's like, I want a game about birds. But back then, no. Yeah. And so I sent out, I don't remember how many emails. I got three meetings. I just sat down. Stonemeyer at that point had like a room in a hotel, like a little meeting room that they reserved. And so they had, you know, people demoing side. And then they had one little table that was pitched to Jamie and Alan, his co-owner of Stonemeyer Games. It's really nice to not be doing it on the convention floor. It's so loud. Um, the room was definitely calmer. Yeah, and so came out of those three meetings. One was an outright rejection. Two of them, including Stonemeyer, were, you know, we're going to take back all the games that we saw at Gen Con and we'll think about all of them and then we'll let you know. At which point the second one was like, no. And then Stonemeyer said, you know, we gave you a bunch of feedback at the pitch. What would you do to implement that feedback? And, you know, thank God I had taken good notes. <laughs> and, Uh, So I kind of went through, like, these are the four or five different things that you told me, and this is, you know, how I would approach them. And they were like, great, go do that, and then send us a copy. So that took me a few months, really, to, like, really playtest that stuff, and um, because some of it was about, you know, adding more engine building and things like that, like, pretty structural stuff. So yeah, so then I sent them that version, and they were like, great, let's do it. So that was kind of by the end of 2016. And then we spent a whole nother year doing development. Do you remember all of the changes they had asked for? Um, I have it somewhere. One was more engine building. It's okay. I don't remember them all now. I had some birds with powers on them. So like the brown-headed cowbird from very early in the game... I wanted it to lay eggs when other people laid eggs because it's a nest parasite that does that. Like it lays its eggs in other birds' nests. It doesn't raise its own young. Oh, okay. Which is like brilliant freaking. Wow. Yeah. Just misses <laughs> off the other mothers and just assumes that like they're not going to kick the yeah. bird out of the yeah. tree. <laughs> like what? It's pretty wild. And occasionally you'll see like some very small bird feeding 
a brown-headed cowbird chick that's like bigger than the bird that's raising it. It's really weird, but it works. I don't know. Interesting. That is so crazy to think that they just like, yeah, I'll adopt this random right. bird right. that's hatched. Are like, do, are do they think it's their baby? It would be really interesting to know more about what they think. But <laughs> yeah, like if we could actually read the minds of birds. <laughs> I feel like there's something about like the birds that push the cowbird nests the eggs out of the nest the cowbirds will retaliate against them or something i forget the whole anyway yes fascinating so they care enough to retaliate but not to raise their kid okay sure (laughs) right yeah so i wanted that to be in somehow so it it was like a special thing but there were not that many birds that had powers so some of the predators had powers the seagulls could like go through their trash and take it you know so there were some powers in there that were things that were like very tied to the behavior of the actual birds and and so one of them was definitely like, we like that, like do that more. But those were two of the main ones. So it's putting powers on all the birds, doing even more engine building than that. I mean, putting the powers on all the birds, it's pretty much like a big chunk of the game. So Right. So a huge, but like what makes Wingspan Wingspan is that year of development. Yeah. Which is something that I tell new designers a lot when they're like, oh, I don't know whether to Kickstarter or go with a, a publisher, but like... The amount of improvement that you can see in your game working on it with a publisher in that development process is like unimaginable before you start that process. I know I always recommend that you have someone different develop your game or at least develop with them because having that extra set of eyes and hands and ears and all that, so great. Right. So great. You also just become a better designer in general. Yeah. And the way that I did it with Stonemaier is that I always was the person like actually making the changes to the game. So I never lost control of it. Definitely went on some wild goose chases. (laughs) Some ideas that Jamie had that I was like, I'm trying to make this work. I'm trying to make this work. I don't feel like I should say no. And it just won't work. And I'd go back and say no. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. (laughs) Like, oh, until I finally realized like, okay, I can push back earlier in the process. But. Yeah, so it was very much a like development with, not a hand over your game to the developer. I've done it both ways. Like my post is really because I was so busy with the aftermath of Wingspan coming out, I handed off to AEG for months, and they just like did their magic on it, and it came back better. And uh, you know, checking in with me now and then, but much less hands on than I've always been with the Wingspan stuff. I was going to say, do you have a preference towards one or the other? I like being hands-on. It freaks me out a little bit for someone to like completely take over the process. I could see that. The game comes back and you're like, I didn't make those changes. I mean, I've had the same problem where I play the eBay game and I'm like, I hate some of these changes. Right. And then you read the comments and I'm like, this was not me. And you're like, "Dur." That being said, it's a lot more work to do the hands-on version, right? It's so true. Pros and cons. I mean, a lot of what you did with Wingspan is pretty thematic. Like, I know some people will be like, oh, it's just another engine builder. But honestly, when you like look at the cards, you have the Wingspan is just one bit of it. But you tried to figure out like the egg size for the nesting, the types of nests. I mean, walk us through each part of the card and like the link of how much you would say is close to the reality of the birds and their behaviors. I mean, first of all, they're all actual species which is something that doesn't like even that I feel like is something that doesn't happen in board games a lot right like most Mm -hmm. people get to just make up their mythical whatevers and have the mix of resources and requirements that they need to have on the cards I really tried to at least not put anything wrong on the cards in the sense of 
so the first piece of information is like the bird's habitat and that's vastly abstracted, right? There's three habitat types in the game. There's like wetland and forest and grassland. And there are many, many more specific types of habitat than that. So there's a certain amount of hand waving of like, does this bird live in the wetland? Maybe, maybe not. But I tried to not put anything wrong on the card, right? So like a desert bird definitely can't be in the wetland in this game. And the same with food, it's vastly abstracted, right? So like the invertebrates are doing a lot of heavy lifting because there's birds that eat caterpillars and there's birds that eat crayfish or squid or, you know, invertebrates is a big category. But the food is sort of generally, like I actually looked every bird up and tried to put the right food on the bird. And then there's also a certain amount of like jiggling around the mix of how expensive different cards are and like what that distribution is within the deck so like does this bird eat one food or three foods and that kind of stuff it's a little bit correlated with the bird's size just to make that feel a little bit more real too there's the nest types of the birds there's four different nest types and that's all based on reality i had to put in sort of a wild nest type for birds that do weird things like burrow into riverbanks like throw their young into other people <laughs> oh, okay that too which could have been it and that again is like that could have been a cavity but it's kind of fun to have some wilds so. um what else the number of eggs i actually look up like the information about how many eggs birds lay but birds in the real world do not max out at six so i like scaled it all down mm -hmm. So birds that want, lay one egg in wingspan are probably lay like one or two. Birds that lay six in wingspan might lay 12 or more in a year. Oh, so it's based off of a year, not like in one, what do you call it? A brood. So birds that have more than one brood in a year. Yeah, I did it by year. What else is on the cards? I'm like picturing a wingspan card in my hand. Oh, and the wingspan, right? For the wingspan part of it, is it like tip to tip or is it like their wing times two but not their body oh that's a really important question so in the u.s the common measurement of wingspan is tip to tip which then like includes the bird's body right yeah i learned when i started to do other continents that in some other places the more common measurement is shoulder to tip and you can't just double that in my mind that makes more sense because the bird's body adds quite like might add just a little bit to their wingspan or might add a lot to their wingspan depending on the bird right so i had to just like figure out how to fake it for birds that i couldn't find a tip to tip measurement that's obnoxious <laughs> yeah interesting okay was there anything else you learned when you started doing the expansions that was a big one well, even before the expansions, one thing I didn't anticipate when I was working on the, the base game with the bonus cards is there are three bonus cards that look at the names of the birds. So like, is there a color name in your name? Is, is it named after a person? And I did not anticipate that it was going to get translated into like 18 different languages and that the bird names would be different in every oh. language. <laughs> Oopsies. That's, I mean, I don't, that's not on you. <laughs> Right. How dare you not know you were going to be successful and have it translated into multiple languages? <laughs> right. So every different localization partner, they call it, the, the companies that pick it up in different countries have has had a different strategy. So some have 
ha- they have the ru- the goal still applied to the exact same birds as if the game were in English, even though the names are different in the other thing. And then they just put like a symbol on the birds. So it's basically like birds that have this symbol because they have a color in their name in English. Ah. <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, hey, symbols work. <laughs> yeah. The German publisher thought harder about it and ditched one of the cards that really just didn't work, changed the percentage on one of the other cards, and like made the scoring match up another trait that had a similar percentage, right? Because the, the scoring on the bonus cards is sort of like, if, a, if this trait is like 15% of the deck, then I'm going to give you two points for every card that you have at that. But if it's you know, more of the deck, then maybe I make it a little harder to score off of it. Anyway, so, and then she made up her own bonus card. She noticed that a lot of the German birds have some other, like, tree or plant in their name. So I think it's, like, birds that have some other biological entity in their name is one of her things. They're, like, the nature birds. Oh, interesting. She just made her up, up her own. I was like, sure, Inga, go for it. <laughs> yeah cool no I think it's really cool though like your goals do yeah. say the percentage of cards that might have that and that's really useful because especially I I show wingspan to like a lot of new players yeah. that are not necessarily gamers but it's like my way to get them into the heavier weight stuff or to see if they maybe can even yeah want to try it's nice because so many times you have these goal cards where you have like zero reference of like what is in the deck and like what is in the game to explore. But at least this gives you like, okay, well, there's a high percent chance I can find these cards versus a lower percent, but like maybe more points. Right. It's like we understand percentages, or at least anyone who went yeah. to school probably remembers. <laughs> at least you can look at two percentages side by side and go, oh, this one's more common in the deck than this one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then make that decision, which is awesome i love when setup is not too difficult also i mean the graphics and art does a lot for the game like it reminds people because this is one that i don't have to reread rule books which is great because so much of it is just you look at it and it does the thing you're reading yeah yeah an awful lot is on the player map for sure and was it you who decided to kind of like have it where the cube goes right to left to try to remind people to activate the different cards and what are the different types of powers that are in the game for people who haven't played? Um, the cube's going right to left. I honestly don't remember whether that was me or Jamie or a playtester, but it came relatively late in the game. We had been struggling with what the end game should be. Like, how does the game end? And I had also simultaneous with that I had a bunch of sort of shared goals that I wanted people to be going for but it was a lot to hold them all in your head at once right so there was a point when the end game condition was like I don't know someone's played 10 birds or 12 birds I don't remember and you'd get into situations number one where people didn't want to play the 12th bird if they didn't think they were winning yeah stall the game so then it just like stalls out And people were having trouble keeping track of all the different goals. And so we decided to go to a set number of turns and we were trying to figure out what the right number of turns would be. And then Jamie definitely came up with the structure of what if it goes down by one each round and we break up. Um, But it was like solving multiple problems at once to create that round structure, which Stonemaier Games used to say on their website, I don't know if they still say this, that they don't like games with rounds in them, but it really worked for this 
game because having a fixed number of turns solved the end game issue breaking the goals up into one per round solved the sort of cognitive load issue and let you do some short-term planning and long-term planning uh, and prioritize that way like it just solved so many problems at once and then going right to left i don't remember but that was the having the cube available yeah. to do that was a byproduct of all that other stuff so that was like the third thing that it solved sure no, and it's cool because it also speeds up the game since you're right. using a cube each round to be right. put onto the round tracker. So it's like, it feels so like, duh, obvious, but it's cool to see that that was not a part of the game and that it got added as you realize there's some issues that need to solve. Yeah. And then you asked like, what are some of the powers? I tried a lot of the bird powers in each habitat tend to line up with the action that's associated with that habitat so the the water wetland row is the row that you would activate if you're going to draw cards so your base action would be draw a card or two or three depending on how built out you are and then you would go through your birds and a lot of those birds are going to be things that are also doing things with cards there are some birds that can live in multiple habitats so you might choose to then take a bird that gives you cards and put it in your grassland. So when you activate your grassland and you're getting eggs, you might also hit upon this bird that gives some cards out. And some people think that's really powerful because it can save you from having to spend a whole turn going to the wetlands to get cards if you're picking up just enough every time you lay eggs. So little nuances yeah. like that like become sort of the next level of play when you realize like there can be strategy even in where you're placing the birds as you're putting them out. It's so funny. Uh, this has become my friend Mason's like probably favorite game. It used to be Catan and thank God he moved on from Catan because <laughs> I just have got overdone on it. But he like, he never calls it Wingspan. He just calls it birds. He's like, I want to play birds. I'm like, okay, dude. I also called it birds the whole time <laughs> that I was playtesting it. Oh, amazing. <laughs> So, like, how far into making the initial game were you guys thinking expansions might happen and that you were going to do, like, other locations? Or is that once Wingspan kind of picked up and everyone's like, this game is great? Like, how did the expansion start? I think Jamie had it in mind long before I did. And then right as soon as it was, as my part was done, he was like, okay, start thinking about the first expansion. Ready to go. I was like, oh, okay. You're like, this is never ending. No, just kidding. <laughs> No, but just more like he had a much more expansive vision of what could happen than I ever did. Like, I remember hearing him on a podcast at some point say that his minimum print run was 10,000 games. And I had been listening to all this advice where people are like, if you sell 5,000 copies of your first game, you are doing amazing in this industry. And I was like, oh, 10,000. That's interesting. And then, of course, you know, we, we went way beyond that. But, um, I, no, I have forgotten that I went off on a tangent. That's <laughs> your original question. <laughs> oh, expansions. Nope, it's all good. I was just asking about expansions, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we sort of came up with the idea of doing them by continent. And he suggested Europe as the first one just because that's where like the next most customers are. And it's fun to be able to give people a deck that's like birds that they see in their backyard. No, that's so cool. So for each of the expansions, is there anything unique or different about each one for people who haven't played them or are thinking about buying them? Yeah, 
the European expansion probably is the one that is most sort of more of the same, more birds. But also when people did have criticisms in reviews for the base game, some of them were things like you often will spend a lot of your turns in the last round just laying eggs. And a lot of the the goals are focused on eggs. And so one of the things I really tried to do is to give people more end of round goals and more birds that would allow you to score points in a single turn without laying eggs. Because I think what happens in the last round is you're like, oh shoot, I only have five turns in this round. And, you know, to get out a high point bird, I have to go, you know, maybe number one, draw the bird. Number two, get food once or twice and then play it, right? And like, if I don't have enough turns to get all of those things done, the only other way I'm going to score points really is to lay eggs. So people end up just laying eggs, laying eggs, laying eggs. Mm -hmm. So the European expansion includes more birds that um, tuck cards, that cash food on them, that can do things in one turn that are not laying eggs so that at the end of the game you can maybe mix it up a little bit. And I think some really interesting end of round bonuses too. Um, to mix up along with all the ones that are looking for eggs. In the Oceania expansion, it's definitely bigger changes if you choose to play with them. You can just take the deck of cards and mix it in and play with base wingspan rules, but it comes with a new set of dice and a new player mat, and the base actions on the player mat are slightly different, so you start out getting more food and less eggs and they ramp up from there slightly differently and the dice have nectar on them which is a wild resource and there are there's a little mini competition for who spends the most nectar in each habitat some people really like those changes because it makes food flow more freely and it gives you another thing to think about with the nectar and some people really don't like that it makes food flow more freely and feel like the more food and the wild food make it too easy and they just want to play with base rules which you can still do and still put in all the parrots and whatnot from Oceania and the kiwi which is adorable yeah (laughs) sidebar uh kiwi is actually my favorite bird and I found that out when I went to New Zealand and learned about them they make no sense. They should not be alive. Like they are the, they're like dodos, but they're not, I mean, they're still alive. Like looking, anyone who has Google, just like Google what a kiwi x-ray looks like with an egg inside of it. It makes no sense how their whole body is basically an egg that's about to come out of it. And I'm just like, it blows my mind. And they're nocturnal. And also they can't remember where their freaking habitat is. So they like, like spray their scent so they can find it. But that means predators can find it. It's just like, they make no sense. I do not know how they are still alive. I mean, I know because there were no predators originally on New Zealand. And what you have not mentioned is that they lost their wings. They literally do not have wings because they didn't fly. Yeah, they can't fly. They didn't have predators. (laughs) Yeah. So they didn't need to fly. So they just lost their wings. They didn't. I know. That's the Europeans' fault. But they are scrappy. They can, like, fight with their little feet. Oh, really? And they're really tiny. Yeah. Apparently, their claws are pretty gnarly. They also, like, mate for life for the most part, so they're quite romantic. But also, it sucks in case, like, you know, their husband or wife gets murdered by one of these predators that got added to the island. 
Uh, kiwis. <laughs> Interesting words. Yeah. And the kiwi illustration for Wingspan is adorable. Sorry. I keep going <laughs> about all the other fun expansion additions. I just like, I was like, oh my God, kiwis, yes. <laughs> right. So then Asia, um, Jamie had the idea he wanted to do an expansion that you could use as a standalone game for two players. Um, so it does not have enough cards in it for you to play a good game with more than that. And one of the things that I had noticed with the end of round goals for a two player game is that often like one person will be highest on two of them and another person will be highest on the other two and it all evens out and you end up scoring the same exact number of points from the end of round goals, which is less interesting. So I came up with this whole other thing to do for end of round goals, which has a little map. And as you play birds out, you're putting little tokens on this map, which um, some spots on the map give you stuff back, but also you're scoring points. There are end of round goals specifically about how your pieces are placed on the map. Are they on the edges? Are they in the middle? Are they in a certain habitat? That kind of stuff. And then at the end of the game, you also get points for having a big contiguous group of tokens on the map. So it's a whole other thing to think about as you're playing your birds of how you're going to be um, working on this map. And I think for two players, it's it's a really nice set of stuff to think about instead of the goals in the base game. And then I was like, but there are going to be all these people that don't want to play it two player that are going to be pissed that they have to buy all this extra stuff just to have it. So we kept seeing people on the Facebook group for Wingspan, not that often, but often enough, you see people that are like, we just put two boxes of Wingspan together and played a eight person game of wingspan or something crazy and it takes them like five hours no why (laughs) no (laughs) why yeah and so i was like i need to help these people if we're gonna be giving two people worth of stuff out in this box like let's make base wingspan go to seven but in a way that doesn't kill you so I came up with this way that you could have two people taking their turns simultaneously. So basically you have two sets of stuff on the table. You have a bird tray for one half the table and one for the other half and dice for one half and dice for the other uh-huh. half. And two people take their turns simultaneously, one from each group. But the pink powers that activate off of other birds, they look at the whole table. So that yeah. can be crazy and fun. Cool. The end of round goals are for the whole table. So Yeah. It's still, like, a little bit crazy, but you can play a seven-player game in under two hours, maybe an hour and a half, if everyone really knows what they're doing. Wow. That is honestly super impressive. I like to play Wingspan at three players. (laughs) I feel like that's my favorite player count, because it it moves fast enough. Okay. Interesting. Beyond just the game itself and the mechanics and all the, like, fun birds thrown into it, did you expect your game to basically usher in a ton of female designers and hobbyists. Also just a bunch of people now wanting nature-based games. No, I did not expect that. (laughs) (laughs) And how, how do you feel about it now? Like, uh, no, it's been awesome. It's been really fun. It's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I told you like my expectation was like, Oh, I'll sell 5,000 copies. I'll get it out into the world. Right. So yeah, this is so far beyond that. I don't even really know what to do with it. I was going to say, do you feel more like a celebrity on the gaming side or the bird watching side? Gaming. <laughs> gaming. Yeah. There are st- yeah. There are many birders in the world and many of them have not even heard of Wingspan. Oh. And there are also gamers who have not heard of Wingspan, which always surprises people. But, you know, you can, the 
gaming world is full of many niches, but it's definitely within gaming, it's more likely that people have a higher percentage probably of people have heard of it. I will say I go to a ton of conventions, as you know, and I meet a lot of like newer designers through like Unpub or just like through different mentorship programs or whatever it is that I'm doing during that hour. But so many of them, when it is a female, they do tend to bring up Wingspan and say that like you are what inspired them to try design. So, I mean, there there's not a lot of females with their names on the box, especially because a lot of them are mass market and they don't put names a lot of times on the box. Maybe they put in the rules and sometimes they don't even do that. So it's been really cool to like see your name out there and like hear so many people say, yeah, because I saw this person make this game. That must feel really awesome. Yeah, it's... A- it's so interesting because anytime that I'm like vocal on social media or something about like people should be paying attention to women designers and like paying attention to the mix of who you have on your podcast or whatever, I always get a couple of reply guys who are like, I never pay attention to the name of the people on the box. Like, I don't know who designed my game. And number one, I'm always like, okay, but go look at your shelf because I guarantee you don't have more than a couple women on it. <laughs> number two, so like maybe you just haven't been noticing because it's all one thing, right? But number two, like there are people who notice and I I think it it really does matter. It really does matter because the people who notice are the people who've been kept out, right? Yep. I, I think even if you're not like top of mind about it it can wear on you that like every game you're playing is by a guy and when wingspan broke out of that and when the artist names were women's names too and the graphic designer was a woman like the whole team like that fact really got people's attention when it first came out oh my gosh yes it was very cool to see so many females that worked on that game there's not too many that are comparable. And, you know, I'm happy I got to work on one of the only ones that is probably comparable. Right. Yeah. But no, I thought that was really cool, especially because there is another like stereotype of female designers only making party games or like light card games and stuff. And it's like yours isn't especially a light game. I mean, it's not the heaviest of euros, but it's an engine builder and it is not a very simple engine builder. It definitely has some crunch to it, even though it is easy to teach because the graphics are so good and I feel like your rule book is well done but it's nice seeing that like there's a break out of that stereotype as well which is lovely we'll get there (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's gotten so much better over the past few years and there are people who came before me right like Inca brand's been out there killing it for years yeah um so like every generation has someone before them that they can point to and be like okay this is doable we can do it Exactly. 100%. And I'm just happy you brought in a bunch of themes because I don't like making space games and (laughs) like fantasy games. I like weird themes. And I'm glad that now there's a lot more of that and a lot more like nature ones because so many of my friends are like obsessive about animals in like house plants, especially. So anytime I have any plant game, they're like totally down to play does not matter how heavy the game is. They just want to play the theme. Yeah, it's so interesting to me that like multiple houseplant games have come out in the last few years. It's because people love plants. I I blame COVID a little. A lot of people got into plants because of COVID. So it's true. And we're probably thinking about plants during COVID and then made a game about the plants that yep. they had become obsessed with. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 100%. But okay, so then for the initial wingspan, 
How long do you think it took from inspiration to the publication where people actually had it in their hands to play? Oh, that's a good question. I think I inspiration, I think, was late 2013. And it went up for pre-order in January of 2019 and shipped, you know, right after that. So however long, five years. <laughs> See, it's not yeah. a fast process always. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, a year and a half, two years. And it's like, depends on the game. Because, <laughs> I mean, a party game, yes, a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. And Tussie Messi, I worked on for about a month before I sent it to Button Shy, right? Because it's an 18-card game. I mean, some 18-card games, that it, it there's so much to them that it takes a lot longer. But Tussie Messi is sweet and light. And it was so refreshing after working on 180 cards. Oh, yeah. I believe it. But like Undergrave, I was just trying to figure out the timeline. I started working on in 2021 and we are wrapping it up now and going on Kickstarter now in late 2023. So now, even now when I know what I'm doing, it's been, you know, year and a half, almost two years. Yeah. I mean, but you're also the kind of designer that focus on like what one, two projects at a time. Right. So it's a year and a half, two years to do a game and it's my only game. Yep. Well, that and it, like I've always got a wingspan expansion going. So really two projects at a time. Yeah. Also, those expansions are not simple. They're not like card or like I shouldn't say cards, but like a few asymmetric character powers or something that's in a booster pack. No, they've been on average. I think it's like 90 cards in an expansion. They're yeah significant that's a lot and i'm trying to like not repeat a lot of the stuff i've already done so to come up with new stuff for 90 cards yeah yeah i appreciate that because just switching out images and bird names is like i mean i totally get why people would do it but it's cool that you actually try to make it new and fresh for each expansion okay so then what projects are you currently working on that people should be looking out for i mean you mentioned undergrowth want to go into that one Yes. So Undergrove is a game about the fact that trees trade resources with mushrooms underground. So you play from the point of view of a Douglas fir tree in the Pacific Northwest, and you are building a shared um, board of mushroom tiles, and you are giving them your delicious carbon that you have photosynthesized and they are giving you other nutrients back. And then you use those nutrients to put out seedlings and roots and, and sort of your goal is to get your seedlings out established in this forest that you're building in ways that give you access to good mushrooms and give you good points at the end of the game. So much more directly interactive than Wingspan in the sense that you can really be sort of jockeying for position and for the um, carbon that's been put out on the board on the mushrooms. People are sucking that up onto their seedlings. So yeah, I'm really excited for it. No, I really enjoyed playtesting this one. It was super cool. It's also a very different way to do the engine building mechanic of like having that huge pile that just kind of explodes with cards and connecting them all together with the roots right and everyone has once you put a mushroom out other people can build their seedlings next to it so it's it's very much sort of a shared i'd say that engine building is pretty light your turns don't get really explosive like they do in wingspan from the beginning to the end but you're definitely like looking for ways to build up a set of mushrooms that all work together so you can activate them efficiently before you have to sort of take a reset turn but, and there's a lot of sort of cube conversion, some people call it, of like 
that century spice road feeling of like, okay, I'm going to turn a carbon into two phosphorus, which are then going to let me build a seedling, which yep. is then going to let me get more carbon, which is, yeah. Yeah. So that, like I said, we've been working on for a couple of years now and it's going to be on Kickstarter, I think in November. I am super excited for it. The art's by Beth Sobel and it's just gorgeous as you would expect. I was going to say, do you guys just like have a pact that we're going to work on things together forever? Um, Not a pact, but a strong interest for sure. I think we <laughs> are interested in the same things and have a similar aesthetic. And so I had mentioned on social media that I was working on a game about mushrooms and she actually messaged me and was like, I want to illustrate your game. Oh, I love that. Have you two met like in person or? Briefly, years ago, we met in person. But uh, it's so funny because she felt like she had to convince me and AEG that she should have the job. And AEG felt like they had to convince her that she should work for them. It's so cute. I was like, no, people, it's just done. We're good. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you both like each other. Just like go on the date already. Like, we're all just hoping this works out. It's so cute. I love um, it so hopefully much. Hopefully we haven't driven her too crazy with moving things around and how they all fit into the final physical product. But yeah, so that's been an amazing project to work on. And I am so, so excited for that. Also, Fox Experiment is going to be out in retail soon. I don't know exactly when. I th- I'm pretty sure it's done printing and about to be shipped or in printing. Some I don't know. And we're recording this in like late August. So by the time it airs, maybe we'll have better information. Well, good. I'm looking forward to getting that. Yeah. I'm excited to actually get a physical copy of that final game for sure and get that to the table instead of my janky prototype. I was going to say, it looked really cool, so I backed it. So that one is based on an actual thing as well, where in Russia, this geneticist had a theory about how dogs might have been domesticated and decided to run a breeding program with foxes, where every generation he picked the friendliest foxes out of the litters and had them become the parents for the next generation i almost said for the next round because in in the game you're actually making baby fox cards and writing on them with dry erase markers and then they become the parents for the next generation of baby foxes that you make do i get to name my baby fox and you get to name your baby fox yay that's my favorite (laughs) and that is like it is amazing to me how important that is to people but that is like such a source of joy for people. Oh my god, I used to rename like Beanie Babies. I would like look at it and then I'd look at their tag and be like, no, that's wrong. It should be this. <laughs> so you get to re- you get to name your baby fox. Yay. Cool. Doesn't even matter if the rest of the game is good. I'm good. <laughs> I often, while I'm playtesting, don't have like the bandwidth to come up with creative names, so I always go with the, the characters from friends, because you're making friendly foxes. But there are many options, yes. Aw, that's also cute, though. There have been a few fantastic misters, and, uh... Oh, I'm sure. They probably just, like, stole from cartoons and television shows. Nothing wrong with that. But, okay. Uh, any other games? Prototypes? Um... Nothing I can talk about. (laughs) Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) That's like a lot of people's answers, but hey, I mean, that means there is something to check out eventually. 
yeah, there will be something after these for sure. Amazing. Well, okay. So then let's go back to Wingspan. But of that specific game, and we'll include expansions, what was your favorite part and the least favorite part of that design experience? Oh, my God. That's hard. I mean, seeing the final version, like getting the box in the mail with the printed final copy of Wingspan was pretty amazing. And there were things in it that I hadn't even totally been aware of. I guess Jamie had shown me most things, but just like seeing it all come together, like playtesting it, my eggs through the entire process were poker chips. <laughs> so if you can imagine the difference between playing with like hand printed cards and poker chips to the final art and the beautiful little eggs and all of that. It's yeah, there's nothing like it. Okay. And so then your least favorite? Least favorite part. I mean, I definitely burnt out on it by the end, playtesting, and went on a bunch of wild goose chases that did not pan out in terms of like possible ways that the design could have gone and that, you know, it took months to figure out that they weren't going to work. And so, yeah. And, and after every expansion, too, I'm like, okay, I need to not think about Wingspan for a few months. <laughs> So I just, I, it's a lot and I get burned out on it, but I'm always happy to come back in the end because it's been an amazing experience. I just like the idea that you need almost like a vacation, like after someone has a baby, <laughs> it's just like, we're going to take a quick vacation. Hold on to the kid. Let me go do this. I'll be right back. <laughs> nice and refreshed. Oh, no, I could definitely imagine that. It gets a little hard towards the end and when you have to keep repeating it over and over. But I mean, at least you're running out of countries. <laughs> Or continents, yeah. Right. No, but I think especially in the in the base game, like knowing that we had changed enough that I really needed to be playtesting and playtesting and like making sure that everything actually worked and then just being at the end of it. And that, you know, I still was working. So it was all, you know, evenings and weekends. And I guess, no, I, I, was, I was working less than full time at that point. So I have this one um, playtesting group that I've been getting together with weekly for years that we meet on a weekday, which is really nice because then it's not taking up like always a weeknight or a weekend that you could be spending with your friends and family. Your evenings and weekends. Yeah. You've met them. I was going to say, I was like, I've come to that. We're friends. <laughs> but I also like, yeah, I like spending right. time weekends and weekdays with friends. Amazing. Well, okay, then if you could offer a piece of advice to a designer, um, actually, you know what, I feel like let's let's tailor this more to you to a designer that's looking to either do a nature based game, or maybe a designer who checks the minority box of like being female, uh, or like of color or something else like trying to get into the industry. Do you have any advice for either of those sets or a piece for each? So my general advice that I'm always like top of mind is like, you just have to get it to the table, like get it out of your head and onto the table. You will always catch things that like don't spend a lot of time perseverating in your head because there are always things that like you don't think about that screw up everything that you've been thinking about in your head. So you just have to get it to the table. For nature games, what I tried to do is to think about like, okay, I know I want to do a game about X. Like, why am I excited about X? What is the like one fundamental thing that has to be in the game? And Wingspan has that maybe less than some of my other games of just like 
I think the fundamental thing about wingspan is like birds are cool and here's the like diversity of them. But in Mariposas, it was like the butterflies migrate. So this game has to be about moving pieces on the board and like it has to work in some way that people have to, they're, the the scoring in the game encourages them to go north and then south again. For the Fox experiment, it was the fundamental thing was I really wanted to figure out a way to have generations in the game where you're creating foxes and they become parents and you're like experiencing that part of the experiment where they were like breeding the foxes. And then for undergrowth, it's really about the trees and the mushrooms trading resources. And so like, if you know that like fundamental thing that's important to you about your subject matter, I think that's going to drive that first push to get it to the table and like give you ideas about what the core mechanics should be and you will probably change many many things from that initial draft but it's um i think an important way to get started and then an important touchstone as you go along as people are recommending changes or you're thinking about changes of like if this is the fundamental thing about this topic like does this change move us closer to that feeling and that understanding or farther away from it for breaking into the industry from an underrepresented group i don't know man you just gotta like if you're a person who feels it when you're in the room and you're in the minority i don't know much advice for that except to push through with the faith that like if another person like you shows up you'll be the person that makes them more comfortable in that room that's been something that definitely has kept me going at certain times. What else? And, you know, find your people and they may be in the games world or they may be your people outside of the games world, but to like have that core um, group of people that, that fill you up, that gives you more energy to go to the events that might not always fill you up. But I do think things are getting better. They are noticeably better than they were in 2013 when I started going to events. (laughs) Noticeably better, but it is still possible for me to go to a game design event in the Washington, D.C. area and be the only woman in the room, which is not something that has ever happened in any other part of my life, professionally or hobby-wise. So it's, you know, it's just, it's weird. It's weird and we'll get through it. And the more people pay attention to it and push through it, the faster it'll get better. Awesome. Both great advices. Also, when you were talking about just like finding the bit out of the like nature-based game, it's just how you explained it made me think so much about how working for IPs is because it sounds very similar. Just like assess what is the thing that you want to come across and then figure out the mechanic that works for it. I mean, very similar to IP. So it's cool because I never really thought of it like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. So then as my final question, completely unrelated to anything you've worked on, if you could have been the designer of any game, what game would you have chosen? I hate this question. I mean, just out of the top of my head, I'm going to say Castell because it's a game that I think has flown under the radar a little bit. And I find it absolutely delightful and up my alley. It's not a nature game, but it is a game that was inspired by a real thing in the world, which is that in Catalonia, there are people who like to build human towers. And they are amazing. I've seen this in person, not in Catalonia, but a group came to D.C. for the Smithsonian Folklife Festival. And they go like many many people high like it's wild like this is not safe but people do it (laughs) 
Do not try this at home. And so Castell is a game about that. And it really, it like, it found that nice mechanic that, that really riffs on this story. So you're collecting little tiles that have people on them. And to score points, you're arranging those tiles into your own personal little human tower. It's just delightful. And it's, it's also like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's super, it's like way thinkier than you would expect from what I just described. Like, I think the weight on BGG is around three. Like, it is not a lightweight game, which maybe is the one disconnect, but it's, I just find it delightful. That's so funny. I played that game for the first time at like midnight <laughs> in a game summit this year. And I was just like, oh, this is going to be fun and light. And I was like, brain. <laughs> I was like, damn it, Derek, why'd you show me this right now? But it was it was really interesting, especially when you explained that it was based off of a real thing. I love that in games. Like, I love passively learning. Yeah, yeah. And this, it's not even, like, an important thing that you're learning, but it's just, like, it's a delightful thing that exists in the world. People need more delight in their yeah, lives. That's just a fun fact you know. Well... Thank you for joining us for Game Design Unbox Inspiration to Publication, Episode 75, Wingspan. And thanks again, Elizabeth, for joining us. For anyone trying to find you online, where can you be reached? I have a website that's elizhargrave.com. So just the first four letters of my first name, because it's too damn long with my last name, elizhargrave.com. And then I have on there like links for I have a newsletter. I'm on Blue Sky is the main social media that I'm trying to use right now. We'll see how that takes off. A lot of people are over there. Are you there yet? Mm-hmm. I just got added to it, like, I don't know, a week or two ago. So, yes. Yeah. And for folks in the D.C. area, there's a way to sign up to playtest with me. All, all that stuff is all linked from my website. Awesome. And then for anyone who wants to talk to me or reach out to me, I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds, and you can find me on social media also at Blue Sky, Instagram and Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it right now. And that's under Token Gamer and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. So definitely reach out and, you know, write a review on this podcast because I'm really bad at saying to do that. But thanks again, Elizabeth. This was super fun to talk all things birds. Thanks, Danielle. So if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine you probably have an interest in creating board games. And if you're like me, that also means you want to bring your designs to life and into the hands of gamers. There's only one problem. Doing that requires manufacturing in large quantities, which is why I'm excited that today's podcast is brought to you by Launch Tabletop. If you want retail quality board games for prototyping demos, promos, or retail with no minimum order quantity, yes, even a single copy, Launch Tabletop has you covered. With Launch Tabletop's print-on-demand service, Launch Lab, you no longer need a warehouse full of stock or produce more than you can afford. Launch Lab offers fast turnaround for board game production, and its online system allows you to configure your game components and get a quote instantly. Then, start placing your order in just a few simple steps. Launch Tabletop is offering 20% off for your first order by going to launchtabletop.com and using promo code GDU20 when checking out. The special discount is valid through 2023. Launch your next game project into the stratosphere with retail quality games at no minimums with Launch Tabletop today. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. And if you're looking for a great board game, bag, playmat, or gaming table, check out All Play at letsallplay.com. Join us next time.